So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Sucking on my titties like you wanted me. Calling me all the time. That bondy check out my Chrissy behind it. Spine all over the top. What else is in the teachers of peaches? Like sex on the beaches. Oh, uh, what? Huh? Right, what, oh, huh, what, right, oh. Right. 
What else is in the teachers' features? Sex on the beaches. What? Right on. Fuck the fade away. 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 The sun, the stars, the powers of these writings, enlightening and uniting. We're getting closer as a culture. Yeah, what was that? Massive attack. Yeah, the Ooh. Hello? Why is it so weird? Touch the button. There we go. On, am I on? Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah, it was turned off also earlier, so I had to turn it on, which I remember from last, last time. Week. So we know all the quirks of whoever fucks with the studio before we get here. Stab. Just, just stab. <laughs> Just, just, just let us handle it. <laughs> hey, we should put a new new sound. We sure should. We are the sounds from the street people. Usually, when I listen to the podcast, it's pretty. The ones that I do choose to listen to are pretty, you know, straight. I mean, there's nothing that technically it sounds perfect to me. Ooh. <laughs> That could technically be, that could be technically that could be because i'm listening to it myself and you get turned <laughs> or on or to us yeah <laughs> but um we haven't had an issue where we've had to upload it yeah that's true so that's the one good thing and i i checked it yesterday every podcast that we've done since september of 2014 is on one link and then i have to find i should find the other one that has like the really old ones oh wow from like back in the day we should 2012 and shit Oh, yes. i got to find that one. When Party like it's 2012. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago. 
But um And party we did. <laughs> Every night, man. Always out there. Always out on the prowl. We've had some, some good um some good times, some bad times, some mediocre times. Some meh times, some meh. <coughs> meh. But anyways, we're going to be having a guest later this evening. I almost said afternoon because the sun is <sighs> still shining. Sun is shining strong. Uh, Shot in the Dark will be here, and they're local to the area, and they're going to do an acoustic performance for us, so that should be exciting. And let's see, the new story I had was uh, Prince, who, as everybody knows by now, he uh, was found in his elevator at Paisley Park last week, and um, just some new information has come out about what they're doing to move forward with his music and his um, his estate and um, the money that he has because um, technically he wasn't he wasn't married and he didn't have any um, I guess legal heirs if you want to put it in layman's terms so um, they found his musical vault <laughs> which was literally like behind a closed door so. This should be an interesting story. The vault at Prince's Paisley Park home, thought to contain at least 100 albums worth of unreleased material, has been drilled open. The bank-style vault is said to have been a large room under the property containing shelves of Prince's music, so much that ABC reports that Prince's estate could put out an album a year for the coming century. One day, someone will release them. I don't know that I'll get to release them, Prince told the view of his vault back in 2012. Mm -hmm. There's just so many. The Bremer Trust have temporary authority over Prince's estate. He left no will, and it's not clear if or when the release of the music is likely to happen. Susan Rogers, Prince's former engineer, said in the report, we could put out more work in a month than most people could in a year or more. The cause of Prince's death on April 21st, meanwhile, is now the subject of a criminal investigation regarding a possible drug overdose. The development is the result of prescription drugs being found at the time of the musician's death. The Associated Press reports that an unnamed law enforcement official confirmed on Thursday that investigations were underway. The same individual also confirmed previous reports that Prince was found unconscious on a plane just a few days before his death. So that's kind of interesting. Um, no. I'm sure we'll be able to hear some of that music. Oh, yeah, for sure. In the future. And they've done that for other artists, too, I think. Uh, yeah, David Bowie is supposed to be releasing some uh, stuff mm-hmm. post, what do you call it, post-mortem? Yeah. Post-famously mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh, posthumous. Yeah. That's, I think that's it. So, I guess <coughs> that's the way to do it if you want. I mean, I don't know if he meant for it to be released. Yeah. Prince, at least. He seemed, he was very, every everything in terms of how the music was released, yeah. he was very um, reserved about it. Yeah. He seemed very conservative about how the music was getting out there. So. I heard this interview where this, you know, Wendy Williams, mm-hmm. she's talking about, because she was good friends with him, and she's talking, to, you know, I saw the interview where she's talking about him, obviously. I didn't really watch the show, but I, I was kind of yeah. interested because she's kind of an interesting character to 
watch and hear her talk about s certain personalities. Right. And she was saying, like, every time that he would call you, it wouldn't be him. It would be one of his representatives or his assistants or whatever. <clears throat> and they would always text you, like, he wants to see you tonight at certain time, mm -hmm. at certain place. Mm -hmm. But it would never, you would never you would just automatically know is Prince. He is Prince. And whenever they would contact you, you knew you had to be there. And she said that whenever she would uh, go to one of his after parties, which mm -hmm. is most of, the, most of the events he invited people to were after parties after one of his shows, that he would tell her, like, tell everybody where to sit. Like, you sit here you sit there you know like everybody had an assigned seating and he was really particular about who's gonna sit with who because he thought that it would just make better or like livelier conversation or a better time and it was just kind of like if he's like that about sitting arrangements <laughs> imagine how he is with his music arrangement you know so right. it's gonna be really interesting to see how they're gonna pile that up into an or how they're going to pile all those songs songs into an album if they're not already in an album i guess right so but i also heard a lot of talk about his assistant or his producer um making music videos like full like fully paid for full you know um full uh what do you call it just like full-on music videos with like actors and stuff like that and like a like a full-on project yeah like a movie yeah a short movie or short film yeah and and then she's like thinking oh great you know we did this music video and it's gonna do really well and then he would just put it in the vault and he's like no i'm not gonna release it i just i'm gonna put it right here and like so i really can't wait to see those because yeah. apparently he's been doing that since 1984 so oh wow so we'll see. Or he's he had the vault since 1984. Yeah, I wonder what he was saving it for. <laughs> Who knows? I don't think he even knows. Maybe he just wanted to have it. So he, he, was, he was very into his faith, and I feel like he would always say, like, I'm just going to leave it out to God. This is all for God, you know, mm -hmm. because he was like uh, Jehovah, oh, no. Jehovah's Witness. And, <clears throat> and, and one of the things Wendy was talking about was, like, no cursing. She's like, he hated when I curse. And she, he's like, well, don't curse, Wendy. You're too
And we're back. That should be our theme song. <laughs> I liked it. I wonder what, what track is it. <sighs> if there's any band that's going to reunite, we need you now. <laughs> yeah. I'm A lot of bands are coming out with new albums that are quite political, like System of a Down is coming with yep. a new album. And 2017. Ah, and other bands out there that I can't. Yep quite putting a finger on yet Who but else? Oh, Depeche Mode has a new album coming out I think it's next year it's like they said it's oh, their it's last they said it's their last one so really? if you're gonna see them now's the time yep. um, yeah you're right there's a lot of albums coming out next year so I guess it's an exciting time music wise but not so much politics wise <laughs> I think it's it's because of that, maybe. It's just like they're needed right now, you know? There's no greater communicator for information and just trying to get feelings out there than music. Mm-hmm. So. It's a, good, it's a good way to get your point across. Yes, definitely. Um, I went to see Green Day recently, and I'm sure he did this at or he's been doing this at every show that they've been at, but he, especially before the election, um, in his hometown of Berkeley, I mean, he was pretty much preaching to the choir, like, do you know who you're voting for? Do you know, like, what's at stake? All this stuff. It's like, yes, this is Berkeley. (laughs) But I get it. But I'm hoping that he was doing that in other cities on the tour as well, like some of the swing states. Like Alabama. Yeah. And we were just talking about you know the protesting that's happening and we get it it's your it's your right to express your opinion in our country in this democracy that we have but shouldn't we really be doing that or should we do what we did in the 60s which was go to um you know college students and people from the north or the more uh blue states or areas that were more progressive went to areas that were having trouble with uh, civil rights and integration and, you know, segregation was pretty much an everyday situation and they didn't take it for granted. They thought, oh, if we're going to make change, we're actually going to physically go there. And, you know, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have social media back then. So that's the only way they could really do it is physically go to these places and, do their protesting, if you will, in, you know, Macomb, Georgia, Selma, Alabama, um, you know, Louisiana, a lot of the deep south. Um, But I don't know if we would have to do something like that now. I don't know if it would make sense to go to the south, but maybe the, the swing states, the states that we had influence over four years, four years ago, eight years ago, what has changed? What's going on but maybe that's what elections are they're they can be swayed or bought out or whatever you want to call it i don't even know yeah (laughs) i'm just i'm just pulling it out of my ass yeah we just knew that something went wrong and uh now we're screwed (laughs) but um but um people are talking about abolishing the electoral college and i need to do more research on it because i don't really understand it either but apparently it was something invented to help the slave states have influence and power over the north i mean are we living in 1860 because last time i checked it was 2016 why do we why do we need that so they're talking about 
finding ways to abolish that institution? I, I think it's, um, from my understanding, the Electoral College now exists because obviously there's more people in states like New York and California, which tend to lean a little more um, left and right. Um, and the Electoral College basically gives a voice to states that don't have very many people in. Um, but the thing is, those, those, those states kind of get a lot of votes. Um, where like a lot of those people are not like minded to the majority of us in this in the United States, you know. So that's why it's still in place, and that's why it's so hard to abolish. And it, it's going to be really hard to abolish. Like mm -hmm. they're going to have to basically change the constitution to do it. Yeah. Which is not an easy feat, but I know that that's one of the things that people are talking about doing. But um, I don't personally. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of late now to, I mean, the election has already taken place and they've already made a decision, but maybe they'll take him to trial before then. <laughs> <laughs> or they should, anyway. Let's just fucking impeach him without him even being indicted or yeah. indicted. He's saying indicted, in, um, inaugurated. Inaugurated. But um, he may not make it the first year. We don't know. Um I just think that we're still, the blue states or people who voted for Hillary are still in shock because we pretty much assumed or thought we had it in the bag, but maybe this is, I mean, this is our wake-up call pretty much to realize that mistakes were made and we need to f fix those mistakes because a lot of things that we take for granted, they're not going to be taken for granted anymore. Um, for me in particular, I feel like a, a woman's right to choose shouldn't be taken away or manhandled. <laughs> That's kind of a pun. Um, or, you know, messed with pretty much. I feel like that should be a given and not that long ago, meaning like 35, 40 years ago. I mean, that was something that was, you know, not a risky, that was a risky situation. You know, it was yeah. pretty much something that you did in a back alley if there was no other way to take care of the problem. I mean, your life was at risk and I don't feel like any woman's life should be at risk because of she's living her life and she shouldn't be judged based on that. But now I think because we're gonna have a Republican House, a Republican Senate, a Republican in office, um, there's going to be a lot of things uh, put into discussion and put through um, possibly into law or to take away from what we already have. So I think that frightens a lot of people and I think that that's something that, that frightens me. Um, not knowing, knowing already that he's not in favor of some of the things that we hold dear and what is he gonna what is he gonna do to abolish them you know to yeah. abolish something that's already been put into place when we really should be working on what we already have or building on that and to me that's what the democrat party re represents as building on what we already have instead of taking away so i think a lot of people if you see protesters 
or um, see interviews that they're giving on these cable national news networks, they're going to be talking about that, that they feel that what they already have is going to be in jeopardy. And I think that's a lot of the feeling behind why people are so pissed off right now. And I think it's a valid a valid uh, thing for people to be talking about. I'm just wondering how it's going to change things in the long run. So I guess we'll see what happens. Um, if you guys are out there in radio world and would like to voice your opinion, give us a call. <laughs> 415-550-0511. Again, 415-550-0511. Um, we also take jokes. Uh, <laughs> we also take bribes. Yeah. Even though we're not politicians. <laughs> you never knew. We're just humble hosts. Just humble. <laughs> we try to be. Yeah. Um, so this is, I have a news story. Uh, Green Day has been in the news a lot. As you know, they've been protesting Trump pretty much from the beginning. Um, but this news story is from a couple weeks ago before the election took place. Um, on September 28th of this year, Green Day were playing at the Starland Ballroom in Sayreville, New Jersey. Billy Joe Armstrong was belting out the lyrics to Holiday, a song he wrote over a decade ago to stick it to the Bush administration and protest against the war in Iraq. Politics has changed since then, but not necessarily for the better. Halfway through the song, during the breakdown, drummer Trey Cool and bassist Mike Durnt slow their playing to a steady, rousing thump as Armstrong grabs the mic and leans out over the audience. You guys been watching the news lately? What do you think of our candidates for the presidency of the United States? What do you think of New York's finest, Mr. Donald Trump? Uh, no racism, no racism in this room right now. We are coming together to call bullshit on all of the politicians. <laughs> the crowd loses it. They holler their support. They are united in their animosity towards Trump and fed up with the rise in misogyny, xenophobia, and outright racism in the United States. Music has brought them together, Republicans and Democrats alike, to ask the same question, what the fuck happened to the American dream? In the UK, we can sympathize, even if we don't quite understand. The result of the EU referendum exposed some deep rifts in this country as well as bigotry that most of us hoped was long behind us, but at least we're not facing up to the possibility of being ruled by a serially bankrupt, pathologically narcissistic demagogue with a face like a two-week-old Setsuma. <laughs> That's like an orange, Mandarin orange. If it takes the raw power of punk rock to cut through the bullshit and make sense of all this, then the rock star we need right now is Billy Joe. Armstrong, Green Day released Revolution Radio, their 12th studio album in October. Like all of the band's best records, um, the playing's tight and the feeling's angry. It's the sound of a downtrodden American underclass raising a collective middle finger to anyone who thinks that ruling a country is just about making money and winning wars. And I have to emphasize, there's a lot of money to be made. So maybe Hell that's yeah. why they voted him in. Um, with the polls narrowing as we race towards the election of a new leader of the free world, what the hell is going on? Well, I'll do my best, but I'm trying to figure out the whole damn thing myself. Uh, we're talking on the phone, or rather Armstrong is in full flow, and I'm listening as the incredul 
incredulity pours out of him. I'm just confused. I have anxiety about the whole thing. You wake up every morning and think, what now? What stupid thing's going to be said? What new email hack are you going to read about? What racist comment? A lot of my songs come from not really anger, but anxiety and feeling lost in the whole game. I ask him for the story behind Revolution Radio, arguably the most political of all Green Day's albums, even so, even more so than 2004's uh, American Idiot. A couple of years ago, in the spring of 2014, I wrote the song Bang Bang. I wrote it coming from the viewpoint of a mass shooter after what happened in Santa Barbara. This young man was clearly deranged and had a Facebook manifesto about how no girls will fuck me, so I'm going to kill everybody. The song just came out really powerfully. I thought, wow, this feels like Green Day. The lyrics to Bang Bang include the line, I want to be a celebrity martyr. That word martyr, he ten- we tend to associate more with suicide bombers in the Middle East than with American gun nuts. Did that, s- did that occur to him when he wrote the song? I think human nature is something we all live with. I tried to find the ties between what we call terrorism, whether it's ISIS or whatever, and the militia mentality that Americans have and their entitlement to arms. For me, I look at it and it confuses the hell out of me because I'm like, what's the difference? He goes on, the world changed after 9-11. George Bush said, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And there's the beginning of the split in our country. George Bush can't take all the credit for America's issues. We've been skirting around it, but there's a big orange elephant in the room that we now have to look full in its saggy face. Donald Trump, Republican president-elect now of the United States of America. The man who once said, it doesn't matter what the media write as long as you've got a young and beautiful piece of ass. Does he have any shame? He has no compassion. uh, Armstrong shoots back. He has no empathy for anything except power. That's all he wants and he'll step on anybody to get it. And the thought and and the thought that any guy like that having his finger on the nuclear button is pretty fucking scary. Does Armstrong know any Trump voters? What is it that they find appealing about him? I've got family members from Oklahoma that are big Trump supporters, and there's no clear answer on why they're supporting him because he doesn't even have any policies. How can you have an opinion about who you want for the leader of the free world when the guy running doesn't have answers to any questions? He does want to build a wall to stop the Mexicans getting in. I remind him, except for a fucking wall, that's never going to happen. Give me a break. You know, dude, I just think it's been mass manipulation with some degree of sadness. Your grandparents have been hijacked by Fox News, Mm -hmm. getting their information from the National Enquirer and tablets that are saying Clinton adopted an alien baby. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. Like an alien from outer space, they're grasping at straws to do anything to destroy her. And they did. Armstrong was a vocal supporter of Bernie Sanders, the socialist candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination who rose to prominence. This is a long article, so I'll just end it in a minute. In the U.S., coincided with Jeremy Corbyn in the U.K. Now it's... Sanders endorsing Clinton. Armstrong thinks she's the only choice, though there are very few people from his background who would agree with him. Some polls have Trump leading by 76% to 17% over Clinton among white men without degrees. Oh, that's painful. (laughs) 
because now um, this was written before the election. Now that it's post-election, it's like, why didn't they pay more attention to this? <laughs> well, this is written after the election, and it's more encouraging, I guess. Um, Russell Simmons to Trump. You cannot target a religious group of people. It's quoting, we will be watching you to make sure that your power does not corrupt the entire union, end quote. And this is, he writes in an open letter, uh, Def Jam co-founder Russell Simmons, a longtime associate of Donald Trump, mm -hmm, has shared an open letter criticizing the president-elect via the Huffington Post. You know, president-elect, I haven't seen that until Trump. Like, even when Obama won, nobody called him that. Yeah, I don't remember that either. I just think it's funny. It's so reluctant. <laughs> um, titled, A Prayer for Donald Trump in America from an Old Friend. His letter rep rep repudiates Trump's rhetoric, proposes policies, and the uptick of hateful incidents around the country, then attempts to advise him on how to best serve the American people. Quoting the far right wing and the alt ring, uh, right were your most staunch supporters, but those people are not your friends, and you know that, Simmons writes. You have the chance to be the first true independent president this country has ever seen, but your radical beliefs you ran on during your campaign must be addressed. Donald, you cannot target a religious group of people. That is dangerous. You cannot separate families and deport people who have only known this country as their home. That is immoral. Donald, you cannot further militarize the power of the, and empower them to antagonize and terrorize black communities. That is unjust. You cannot wage war against women's rights. That is disastrous. You must stop with your hateful and harmful language towards women and people of color. That is unacceptable. Donald, you cannot rip up all your regulations and protect our planet. Continue to subsidize the meal industry and put people in power that think climate change is a hoax. The rumor of who you want to appoint to run for EPA is frightening. That is beyond repair. Simmons sends a letter writing, an entire generation of young people fear that this country had just elected its first, its first dictator. And I cannot blame them for thinking that. He warns Trump that if he listens to Rudy Giuliani and Mike Pence, the next four years in the White House will, incredibly, will be incredibly unpleasant. You can read the letter here, and this is out of pitchfork.com. This is Simmons' second open letter addressed to Trump. Last year, he wrote a letter to Global Grind asking him to stop the bullshit. Find more of the music world reactions to the election result here, here, and here. Again, out of pitchfork.com. Oy, oy, oy. At least, I mean, he already wrote one open letter, <laughs> and that didn't work, but at least he's making it clear to him that what everybody's been trying to tell him, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the best that we can do now is, like we were talking off air, is supporting um, uh charities or uh, organizations that support um, things that are important to you. If you're worried about immigration rights, there are organizations out there that, that help people in their times of need. Um, Planned Parenthood is, is a big one for um, 
you know, women getting uh, birth control or getting exams or medication that they need to help with um, whatever they're experiencing in their lives, and they may not be able to afford it without insurance. Um, I know that they were they were there for me, and unfortunately, I think it was even though it was during Obama's pre presidency, they were being defunded and the chapter that I went to was closed down. So that was kind of an eye-opening experience. Yeah. Um, and then, um, um, you know, just any organization that wants to, um, I was volunteering on uh, Monday through, through work, uh, but helping um, people who are homeless or are not able to, afford to have a roommate or a place of their own and they want to you know what's the best way to get them back on their feet there's a um, charity house it's a network across the country called Covenant House and they have a branch in Oakland I'm not sure if they have one here in San Francisco but we went there and decorated for Thanksgiving and we also went through tons and tons of clothing that was donated and we were specifically looking for clothes that they could wear during an interview um, and you'd be surprised um, most of the clothing was not interview friendly um, but there were there were um, eventually we found clothes that they could use but I was like god who's gonna wear six inch stripper heels to a job interview that's not something that you would pick as your number one choice so it's um depending on the job I guess yeah that's true um, but hopefully, especially if they're in if they're in high school or uh, college age group, that they're you know focused and going on, um, going on interviews. I guess um, it's something important. Those are the that's the precedent that we precedent that we want to set. I don't know what kind of precedent uh, Trump is going to set with his you know what we already know about him is is not great so um, I guess we'll see w what's going to happen in the next uh, two and a half months before the inauguration date is set because there's a lot of people who are we're trying to find ways to stop it from happening even though we followed the rules we went through the election as we normally would do even though it felt like no other election that I've ever been through. Um, but, I mean, I guess you could say because we're in California, we're pretty much in the, the blue bubble, if you will. So I feel like we're pretty oblivious as to what's going on in some of these swing states. So that would be, that would be something for you know the democrat party or people who say that they want change they need to think about outside of their immediate environment that's what i'm thinking yeah but um we'll see what happens um in other news <laughs> um one of my favorite movies from the 90s train spotting they're finally having the sequel to that 20 20 plus years later <laughs> Um, some people are saying it's better than the original. Oh, wow. Uh, Trainspotting author Irvine Welsh, um, who I actually had the honor of, of interviewing a couple years ago, on T2 Trainspotting, the sequel to the Colt 96 film, based on his legendary book. The first trailer was released last week. 
let's see what they say. Oh, we were all nervous before we decided to do it, but once we saw the script, everybody was confident we were going to build on the legacy of the first film, not trash it. It's taken the most dynamic elements of the book and porno, Welsh's 2002 novel on which T2 is partially based, but also looks forward to how it can be contemporary and present day. In some ways, I think it's a better movie than Trainspotting. They've become such iconic characters, and this is going to cement that status. It feels like a big, epic movie. I'm very excited about it, and I think people are going to be excited, excited too. You'll always get the critics who moan about it not being the original or being too much like it, but it's going to be a great standalone film as well as working with the first film to bring that whole world together. It's very now. It's a magnificent achievement to be, to be able to keep the spirit of the book, but also to make a modern British film. Everybody is older and so much more skilled. Everybody is vibing, being back together. It's like when you watch a band get back together and a lot of bands you see, their kids have grown up, they've got divorced or they need money and they aren't really producing good stuff. <laughs> that was one of the most important things to see if we were still creating that buzz. So that's coming out. I think they said it's coming out next year. So that'll be... That'll They've be, been working on it for a while. Yeah, it's been... They were buzzing about it this year. So I guess next year we'll have to watch it. <laughs> I'll have to do premiere tickets. Yes. 2016 has been unbearably cruel to our musical heroes. Uh, David Bowie and Prince were larger-than-life cultural icons, and their deaths were celebrated accordingly. There was, a scarce, uh, there was scarcely a person who didn't have strong vocal involved recent thoughts about their music meant, what their music meant to them. The same could be said about Cohen. Um, even in reaction to his passing, has course his way through a more personal, contemplative vein. In the hours since his death was announced, people have extended their condolences. You uh, remunited on their favorite albums and let us all in their ways, the, uh, ways he's bruised, but heartfelt songs have touched them personally. For a, a short while, social media broke away from the fear of paranoia that has run rampant since the close of Tuesday's election, replacing it with quiet grace and dignity. It felt like an in, intimate gathering of friends, all brought together through a common feeling of loss. <clears throat> it takes a songwriter with a special human touch to connect with people in that kind of way. Cohen, with his insensitive ability to cut it into the heart of his listeners, had that. Um, his earlier songs found beauty and pain, and in doing so, they made uh, that pain feel not only bearable, but comforting. More people don't wholly identify with being downthrotted and miserable, but we all have our moments when life's many pieces don't seem to fit together. It was in those moments that Cohen's music truly shined, right up, the, right up uh, through the release of the last month's excellent You Want It Darker. He gave a voice to the confused and brought solace to the lonely. lonely. There was a crack in the evening, he sang on Anthem, a soundtrack from 2009, I mean, sorry, from 1992's The Future. That's how the light gets in. When things go, got heavy, there is this always Leonard Cohen to lift the weight from heavy minds and tired shoulders. Before Cohen died on Tuesday evening, 
at the age of 82, we were left with an excellent profile of the man courtesy of the New Yorker's David Remnick. In it, Remnick dwells deep into Cohen's life, uh, revealing a man of immeasurable heart, fragile insecurities, and boundless artistry and determination. He writes of Cohen's many loves, his distance for performing live, the years he spent training to be a monk, and how all those pieces came together to wake a man. Uh, Remnick's piece unlocks the secret to what makes Cohen's music so powerful, especially to the legions of followers who have learned, uh, leaned on him for uh, comfort than mere entertainment. Hmm. His image as a passionate liter literate bohemian who was not a front, was not a front. He was in fact the same wise sage he appeared to be on record. He was thoughtful and powerful, but just as susceptible to breaking as anyone else. To those closest to his music, he was more than a performer. It was easy to see a bit of, a bit of yourself in him. Cohen always felt like a friend, even from afar. His records drew us in and talked to us, and we lent him our ears in return. That, I suspect, would be his legacy. It won't be one defined by chart-topping singles or platinum success, but rather by what he meant to those who treasured him most. If the goal of all great art is to connect with the audience, then by the measure Leonard Cohen has truly, was truly triumphant. He might be gone, but he left us with everything he had. And this is out of consequence of sound. And I never knew he was studying to become a monk. <laughs> but I know his songs are very, very, um, I mean, for lack of a better and more beautiful word, sad. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, his most popular track being Hallelujah, that's been covered by so many people. But it's such a beautiful tune and it has those lyrics man just um truly poetic so may he rest in peace r.i.p mm -hmm. and on that note um we'll play a couple songs for you guys and um indian oven should be here at some point this evening so you'll want to stay tuned for more mutiny radio
side looked in at her, as into the cage of some rare creature in Italy. In the hand of one of the assistants, she saw the same instrument as they had that morning, inserted deep into her body. She shuddered instinctively. No life at all in the house of gold. No, 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 no,
time the green light flashes the flags go up churning and burning they yearn for the cup they deftly maneuver and muscle for rank fuel burning fast on an empty tank reckless and wild they pour through the turns their prowess is potent and secretly stern as they speed through the finish the flags go down the fans get up and they get out of town the arena is empty except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can the sun has gone down and the moon has come up and long ago somebody left with the cup but he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns he's going the distance He's going for speed She's all alone All alone in a time of need Because he's racing and racing And plotting the course He's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse He's going the distance No flashbulbs, no wine. He's haunted by something he cannot define. Bowel-shaking earthquakes of doubt and remorse assail him, impale him with monster truck force. In his mind, he's still driving, still making the grade. She's hoping in time that her memories will fade. Cause he's racing and pacing and plotting the course. He's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's striving and driving and hugging the turns. And thinking of someone for whom he still burns. Cause he's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone. All alone in a time of need. Because he's racing and pacing and plotting the course. He's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse. He's racing and pacing and plotting the course. He's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse. He's going the distance. 
Evan is here. How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. Super duper. You made it through Saturday traffic in the mission. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we <will not>. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are going to play a couple songs for us? Yep. Awesome. We are. Can't wait to hear them. This song's called <laughs> When I Was a Child. When I Was a Child.
All right, all right, all right. What's that song about? That song is about listening to Elvis when I was like a little kid. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> that's off our uh, first first album, which came out in 2011. Uh, so that's an oldie, but goodie, so we still play it. Yoo-hoo. And this is a new one. This is also actually an oldie, but a newie. Like, written a long time ago, but just started playing it again. Fast Did she fly back yet? Yeah. <laughs> She's coming back. <laughs>
that song has a political edge, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You can <laughs> say as much a political edge as like the idea that uh, love is good but you also need people backing it to get to get things done. Mm-hmm. And this is written before this whole campaign election too. Still relevant. Yeah, even more so. Yeah. <laughs> Got one more tune. Woohoo! And uh, this is Sam Carpenter. Hi. <laughs> playing, playing the guitar and singing. Sam Who are you? Sam Bhutan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sam Bhutan playing the electric. And I'm Griffin playing the cajon. The what? What's a cajon? cajon. People don't know. Dude, is that a canoe? <laughs> it also doubles as a seafaring vessel. Describe what it is. Not everyone's going to know what a cajon is. It's in it's depth. Box. Describe it's it in box. depth. Yeah, in depth. Uh, so, I'm going to say two, two and a half feet by... Eight inches by eight inches wooden <laughs> box. Okay, it. stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, <I'm> on. <laughs> Sorry, let's see if I can get that. Um, I'm gonna play a little more. So the lyrics don't really represent what this song is about, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're probably shit. You're dead. <laughs> but I got the idea from. So remember Tamagotchis, like little things that you keep alive? Oh, I used to have yeah. one of those. There was like a theory that like a Tamagotchi is basically like God. Like it's this little thing that you like, you poke and if it dies, you feel bad. But really yeah. it's like you're not really doing anything. Yeah, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Okay. You reset it. <laughs> it's all digital and fake. <laughs> but the lyrics don't actually say that in the song. So I thought I should maybe say that. <laughs> Time! 
Just to find out that you're wrong Never try and never say It's catchier and catchier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about the new album. So, Griff, you want to take this one? <laughs> um, it's called Tenderness, and uh, we released it on in August. Yeah. August 15th, I think, of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely a culmination of... She's playing her own musical instrument over there. Sorry, this is spring on the mic thing. Okay. Like a, yeah, a long time. Good to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it took a long time to make, but we're definitely very proud. Um, and it's, you know, it's on Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube and uh, Amazon Music. So it's it's out there if you're looking for it. It's out there. Under what yeah. name, to clarify? It's, so it's Indie Oven, <laughs> and uh, the album is, is called Tenderness. Okay. Yeah. How many songs? Eleven. Oh. Actually, we have it. Here, can we play some songs? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. We sure can. <laughs> we set uh, up the same way. Oh, my God. Oh, Mom's on the line. <laughs> um. Um, yeah, we, so it's, it's self-produced and self-released uh, into the world. Independently, right on. Uh, DIY, DIY, the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. And uh, where did you record it? Uh, we recorded it. Most tracks are recorded in uh, East Hampton, Massachusetts, by this guy named Grant Wicks. Did a fantastic job. Super good dude. Woohoo! Um, and we did one. I think just maybe one completely on our own that we did recorded ourselves. Um, and they were mixed in Oakland. Um, Shipwreck Records studios. studios by Jonah. Good dude, good dude. Um, yeah, and uh, featured a ton of great musicians on it. So it's not just us. It's like I think there's eight people that played on the record. Oh wow! Actually, the cello player. The cello player from. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins, um, Siamese Dreams. I think it was Siamese Dreams, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he. How did you get that? Um, f- uh, Craigslist. Rip. Yeah, really? we're just like we need a we need a cello player for this project, and like Smashing Pumpkins cellist just like Craigslist <laughs> me back. It wasn't That's like, a, like some type of weird meetup where you met him and just happened to also be the cellist. No, the whole thing was a weird scenario, but it, you know, in the long run, it worked out. I approve. Um, Let's play the song that he plays on. Oh, yeah, yeah. If it's okay with you guys. Yep. Track one, right? Yeah, track one. (laughs) Uh, It's called Oh, His Body. Actually, I'll tell what this song's about real quick. Put your face near that thing. Three sentences. Oh, there we go. Um, So we're riding our bikes cross-country, and we met this guy who basically seemed like he'd spent his entire life riding his bike cross-country, but, like, not in, like, a fun way. Like, he didn't have a home (laughs) way. (laughs) And uh, he was, like, really skinny, and 
on his own all the time and maybe a little crazy. And so he wrote this song about him. Chuck featuring Smashing Pumpkins show guy, Eric. Uh, How much did he get? Money-wise? So his initial quote was, like, half of what we spent on the whole album. So we're like, no, we're good. But then he brought it down, like, by, like, 90% less, and then we could afford it. Um, But still, a lot. Um, I'm not going to say it out loud in case... Four bucks on a Snickers bar? Yeah. (laughs) The ride to uh, Walmart. <laughs> uh, this next one we want to do um, it's called Harder and uh, it features a lot of our friends background singing which is which is always fun
Truth comes out now. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this chick? What chick? No. So we have a show uh, at Hotel Utah, December 7th. 11th. 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 <laughs> we just it's agreed. Just December 11th. It's a Sunday. I was going to say at 8 o'clock, and that made me think of 7, so I said December <laughs> What? December? Why did at 8 make you think of 7? <laughs> Better get there. It's closer yeah. to 8 than 11. So December 11th at 8 p.m. But be there at yes. 7. Be there at 7. And we're playing with a band called Horse... Thief. And they were actually really good. Yeah, cool. So it's not like, oh. <laughs> yeah, you're not coming just you're not coming just to see us. You're coming to see us and another another band. Yeah. It uh, is like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So that's gonna be rocket time. Yeah. Are you opening or? I think we're opening. Yeah. We're gonna. You think? Pretty sure. Okay. Which venue? I don't think we're headlining. It's gonna be the oh. Hotel Utah in San Francisco, California. Mm-hmm. Fourth and Bryant. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know the address, but you don't know what day it is. Yeah, you can get there by via BART. <laughs> kind of. 
Be at the saloon. Be at the nine, right? The eleven. The nine. Yep. I think. <laughs> Uber. Have you guys played there before? Yes, Sam and I played there. Not in the oven, but Sam and I played in another band. We played there. So no. And there was no one there. It was Aww. We played first to the we played to the other band. You played to the staff. Yeah, we played to the staff. I don't think even the staff was in there. They were closed. It's not really a venue. It's not really playing there. We so, snuck in when they were not open. Hopefully, there'll be a few more people at this one. I think they will. I got like thirty people coming. Really? That's three more than last time. Oh my good. Yeah. That's, a, that's pretty good. All right, I'm gonna do one more song. This song is called Boogie with an X, and it's track number four. And uh, if you want to find us, we're on the internet. We have a Facebook page, Indian Oven. We have an Instagram account, Indian Oven, one word. Uh, Gmail. We got a Gmail. Leave that's. Dead. LinkedIn, Twitter, Tinder account, Tinder, <laughs> Match, <laughs> Grinder, we're everywhere. Take a photo. It didn't work. So was it blank? Black. So what song was that? So that song, I told you the wrong song. That was Griffin's fault. <laughs> <laughs>
that was actually watching an old friend disappear. Sad but true. This next song, track number five. Are we gonna? Uh, what time? We're already ending. Did you guys want to say anything else? Oh, yeah, we could ask if we 